This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Are you ready for a powerful morning? Oh, good. All three of you. Good. How about the rest of you? Are you ready for a powerful morning? Yeah, there you go. All right. As I was watching that video, that's our Jesus. I'm not, not that actor. But the guy who lived that life is our Jesus. Did you get that? He's the one who's changing us. And as we come to study the life of Jesus, you and I are going to realize that he is the biggest culture changer in the history of the world. And he has some very powerful things to say to our culture. Now I get it. Jesus wasn't just about changing culture. Jesus was about changing people. And when people change, culture changes. Have you noticed that? Yeah. This morning, it's our prayer that as we jump into this story of the life of Jesus, that our lives will change. If you're new here, my name is Ron. I'm, uh, I'm not our lead pastor. I'm the founding pastor of this church. And well, kind of for this morning, I'm the pastor. So there you go. You're stuck with me. That's how this works. All right. So yeah, thank you all three of you who like that. That's awesome. Okay. Um, I want to say happy Father's Day. And I just want to start out with a confession. I'm the father of three children and the grandfather of five children. And I have been pastoring for 52 years. And of all the things, thank you. Of all the things that I've done in life, being a father is the most selfless thing I've ever tried to do, ever. Being married was pretty selfless. But my wife was in love with me before we got married, okay? So she knocked a few rough edges off of me, but she was kind and gracious to some of my rough edges. But my children were not in love with me when they were born. And whatever rough edges my wife was willing to overlook, my teenage kids landed on. It was so good for me and so hard all at the same time. So for all of you who are fathers out there, and you are doing your best to nurture and train and love and care for and develop, and equip your children and love them even when they're not acting lovably. My hat's off to you. Thank you. This is a day that you deserve. Let's hear it. Let's have a hand for our Father. <clears throat> As we get into this teaching, today. We're going to jump into the story that takes place 
It's an event in the life of Jesus. And there are going to be two great things that Jesus is going to be addressing in this story. And they are so worthy of our attention. But before we jump into the story, I, I want to get into a little of the backstory. And on the screen, you're going to see a message that was sent to Jesus by John the Baptist. Take a look at what John asked. John sent a, a group of his friends to Jesus to ask this question. Are you the Messiah or the Savior of the world? Or should we be looking for someone else? Can we just stop right there? That's the most important question you could ever ask in your entire life. Jesus, are you really the Savior of the world? Because if you are, we should be listening to everything you have to say and we should be buying it hook, line, and sinker. Does that make sense to you? If he really is the Savior of the world, now, why was John the Baptist, who was a prophet of God, asking Jesus that question? I suspect he was asking it for the same reasons that you and I might ask that question. And that's because Jesus wasn't anything like what John the Baptist thought he might be. And John wasn't even sure that he wanted what Jesus was selling, even though he was giving it away. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, because John was looking for an earthly kingdom. He was looking for someone who would look somewhat like a king. He was looking for someone who was going to be leading this growing group of followers and the, and the group would be growing and growing. He was looking for the beginnings of a military structure that this earthly king could use to exercise his power and authority over other earthly powers. He was looking for some wealthy and well-positioned people to be making large donations to fund this army that was going to take over the world. And Jesus was nothing like that. And John was scratching his head. Hey, I need some help here. I want to start with something that's very important for you and me to know. Sometimes the way Jesus gets pictured to our world, even by Christian theologians, sets us up to believe that Jesus is something that he's actually not. And we get disillusioned. You can turn on your TV almost any hour of the day and you can find someone on there who's telling you that Jesus will heal every disease that you ever have because he can. And if you're walking in sickness, it's because you don't have enough faith. You can find somebody, some Christian theologian telling you that if you get on board with Jesus, you will receive the blessing. And the blessing is material wealth. And if you're struggling financially, all you need to do is send some seed money to that ministry and God will multiply it. Yeah, thank you. Jackie says that didn't work. 
the most important question you could ask is even though Jesus might not look like what you would like for him to look like, you still need to ask yourself, Jesus, are you the Messiah, the Savior of the world? Or should we be looking for someone else? As for me, I've come to understand that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. And I have seen what he has done in people's lives. And there simply in the history of mankind has never been anyone who was even close to Jesus. Are you on board with that? That's amazing. So I said, that's our Jesus. Now, Jesus' response to John is very interesting. I love his response. Here's what he says. You go tell John. The blind see, the cripple walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the poor and broken now hear the good news of the kingdom. Does that sound good to you? You know, I could spend the rest of the morning just teaching out of that one passage, but I just want to summarize it with one thing. Take a look at the screen. What we know for sure is Jesus is saying that his kingdom is going to be a place of great healing. Can you get on board with that? And we're going to look in a story today where the kingdom of Jesus is bringing healing on two different levels. And my friends, we need it on both levels. So let's take a look at this story. It says a huge crowd was following Jesus pressing in on him from all sides. Now listen, this was a very popular time to follow Jesus. There were massive crowds. He was the new guy in town. And he was teaching things that no one had ever heard of before. And he was doing miracles, which no one had ever done before. And man, when you can do miracles and you can teach, you can get a crowd. And guess what else he did? Once in a while, he even fed the whole crowd. If you want a crowd... Just throw some food out there. Yeah. It was a huge crowd. Now, in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of all In spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was not getting better, but getting worse. We're going to talk more about the world in which she lived, but I just want to describe it right now in these words. This woman was living in her own private, personal hell. I can't help but imagine in this crowd there's a handful of people and you're living in your own undisclosed private personal hell. And maybe no one in the crowd knows it. But Jesus did. And Jesus does. Let's go on and read the rest of the story. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him 
and touched his robe, for she kept saying to herself, if only I could touch his clothes, I know I would be healed. Listen, that, my friends, is the narrative of faith. You have a running conversation going on inside your head at all times. It's your personal narrative. And believe it or not, that personal narrative that runs in the back of your mind is what actually shapes your thoughts and your thoughts will shape your actions and your actions will give shape to your life. Are you on board with that? Does that make sense? You can't just change your life. If you want to change your life, you have to go all the way back and change that internal narrative. And Jesus is the master at changing our internal narratives. As I was praying for all of you, actually all of us, including myself this morning, in preparation for this teaching and this service, I found myself beginning to pray, God, would you help us write that narrative of faith in our hearts? That no matter what we're struggling with, we would have this narrative that would say, if I could just bring it to Jesus, I know he would do something about it. That is the narrative of faith. I don't say that to make any of us feel guilty. Friends, that's just an open invitation. We'll get back to that in just a minute. So let's follow the rest of the story. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped and she knew it for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. So full confession, I've never been a woman, okay? I don't know what that kind of bleeding feels like. I don't know anything about that really. But I do know that if that's going on in you for 12 years, are you struggling? That would be awful. We're going to get to even how worse it was for her. And she could feel in her body that it stopped. I want you just to picture with me what's going on in her mind. She has this narrative of faith. If I could just bring it to Jesus, if I could just touch him, I know he would heal me. She touched him and she was healed. 12 years of pain and agony flowing out of her and being released. I don't even know this woman. But I know if she was here today, I would give her a celebratory hug. I would be so happy for her. It's so hard. Wow. Let's see how the story unfolds. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him for he felt healing power go out from him to someone in the crowd. So he turned and asked the crowd, who touched my clothes? It's about to get awkward, don't you think? Can I just tell you 
that when you decide to follow Jesus, get ready for awkward? Because he's going to ask you questions that are going to seem awkward, but they are so good for you. This was this woman's now worst nightmare. Her worst nightmare before was that she wouldn't be healed. Her new nightmare was that Jesus would out her. Take a look at what happens. Everyone denied it. (laughs) Of course. No. She said, okay, who touched me? Not me. Yeah. Peter senses the awkward moment. And if you know anything from reading the life of Jesus, you know that Peter can't take awkward. He's got to say something. So what does Peter say? Hey, dude, look, there's a huge crowd. They're all pressing in against you. You're an idiot for asking who touched you. We've all touched you. Huh. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd looking for the one who had touched him for healing. So look at what happens next. When the woman who had experienced this miracle realized that she couldn't stay hidden, she knelt before him trembling with fear. Uh Uh-oh. I snuck up behind him. I touched him. I stole some healing. He didn't give it to me. I stole it. And now I'm in trouble. She's trembling with fear. And she said, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story. You know how embarrassing that is? Jesus, I've had a menstrual period and it's lasted 12 years. Bleeding every day. I've been a mess. I've spent everything I have on these doctors and healers and I won't even dare to tell you the things they had me do. And I can't even imagine what that might have been. But I know it was humiliating. And I said to myself, I I heard all the wonderful things you were doing and I said to myself, if I could just sneak up behind you and touch just, just your garment, I knew you could heal me. And you did. And whatever punishment you give, I'll take it. How does Jesus approach this? Then Jesus said to her, what's the next word? Daughter. Daughter. Jesus just took this from a public conversation to a father-daughter conversation. Do you like that about Jesus? Oh my goodness, that's awesome. On Father's Day, I couldn't think of a better story. Daughter. Look what he says. Take heart. That's the name of our series. You have reason to be happy. Take heart. Because you dare to believe. Your faith has healed you. Now go with peace in your heart and be free 
from your suffering. There's a really obvious lesson in this story, but I don't want any of us to miss it. And here it is on the screen. When we bring whatever we're struggling with, it could be a physical disease. It could be a marriage that is broken and ruptured and about ready to implode. It could be a struggle we're having in the employment, in our place of employment. It could be a relationship with a son or a daughter that's gone south and it's a heartache to us. It could be a financial challenge, friends. It could be anything. When we bring it to Jesus, and would you read the underlying words with me, please? Fully trust him with it. That's the deal. You and I oftentimes come to Jesus and we have specific ways we want him to heal something in our life. Yeah, Jesus, I'll be the boss. You be the genie. I'm going to get on my knees and rub my little prayer lamp. And when you show up, I'm going to give you my wish. No, friends, that's not the narrative of faith. The narrative of faith says, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the savior of the world. I believe that everything you do is good. And I believe that when you bring healing into my life, the healing might not be in the form that I want it to be, but ultimately it will be good for me. I didn't ask my wife's permission to use this, so you can share it with her if you want to. I will when I get home. Monica's battling breast cancer. She's had four uh, breast cancer. Actually, she's had five breast cancer surgeries. And she's currently undergoing chemotherapy. Okay? She's at home today because she just isn't capable of being here. We have sat down with her oncologist. And in essence, we have said to the oncologist, we trust you and she said to us if you trust me you have to let me make Monica very sick right now but if you do we believe there's a 96% chance this cancer will not return if you don't it's altogether different odds and we said, we believe you, therefore we trust you. And so today, Monica's at home sick. In full belief that the oncologist has her well-being at heart. I wish that you and I could learn to trust Jesus that way. Instead of going to him and saying, the only thing I'll settle for is take care of this now. 
And Jesus says, sometimes I have to handle it in a way that makes you miserable today, but healthy tomorrow. You on board with that? That's the narrative of faith. And I just want to say to you, whoever you are and whatever you're struggling with, if you will bring it to Jesus today and you will trust him fully with it, he will bring healing eventually. And I can't promise you what that healing will look like, but I can promise you this. He is a good, good father. And whatever healing he brings into your life will ultimately be good for you. Okay. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two. That was a lesson for each of us personally. This is a lesson for us culturally. Because there was something else going on in Jesus' day, which is going on in our culture all of the time, and it's actually front and center in our culture right now. And even though there wasn't a lot of mass media, it was front and center in Jesus' culture. And the thing I love about Jesus is he met it head on. He was not going to allow the sicknesses of his culture to continue to go unchecked. If you look on the screen, you'll see what the issue is. The issue is marginalization and polarization. Do we have a problem with that in our culture? It's everywhere. And you might wonder, why did I put polarization up there? Stay with me for a minute. Do you realize that polarization is just a different form of marginalization? In our currently politically polarized culture, what we do is we take everyone who doesn't agree with us, we put them in that camp, and we marginalize them and treat them like they're idiots. And somewhere less than human, certainly not bright. It's just marginalization with a different name. In Jesus' world and in his culture, marginalization was everywhere. I'm going to have a whole teaching on this later on in the year, God willing. Okay? But if you want a head start on it, go buy you a cheap paperback version of the New Testament. Get yourself a highlighter and read through the first four Uh, writings of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every time Jesus is working with a person who has been marginalized, you highlight it. And you will see time after time, Jesus is taking someone who's been marginalized by society and he's bringing them into the mainstream. It was one of the things that he was about. Now we're going to dip into the private hell that this woman was living in by just looking at the Old Testament law that that governed her. And I'm going to read it to you straight out of Jewish law. It says, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that's unrelated to her menstrual period, 
or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean as during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on, any object she sits on during that time will be unclean just as during her normal menstrual period. Does that sound tough? It was hard. It was really hard. This woman had lived this way for 12 years. Every chair she sat on had to be covered with a cloth. And every time she got up or at the end of the day, the cloth on that chair had to be taken and laundered. This woman could never go to the local synagogue to church. She could never go to the temple. She could never participate in any Jewish holidays. She lived in her own isolated, personal, private hell. Personally unclean for 12 years. Defiled, damaged goods. I wish I could tell you that's where it ended, but it didn't. That law went on to read like this. If any of you touch her or anything of these unclean things. You will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourselves in water and you will remain unclean until the sun goes down, until evening. This woman was not invited to any family gathering. If she had a husband, I can't imagine her husband stayed with her. If she had children, they would never invite mom over to the house because everything she sat on was defiled, had to be ritualistically cleaned. No one gave her a hug. The moment you gave her a hug, you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go to church and you had to go through this whole ritual to get yourself clean again. I can't imagine that very often anyone would touch her. It was awful. She was marginalized, shut out, treated as less than human. I want to tell you something about Jesus. And you can see it in this story. Here it is on the screen. Jesus' heart breaks over every person or every people group who is marginalized in any way by mainstream culture and especially by the church. Why did Jesus stop the parade? Why did he turn around and say, who who touched me? It wasn't because he wanted to out this lady He wanted to end her. Does that make sense? And she went from being this person that everybody shunned and everybody stayed away from. And she became included in the crowd as the latest person that Jesus had healed. She went from being out to being in. That's why Jesus didn't let her just sneak away and continue to live in this private world. 
of marginalization. Jesus took her from being marginalized and brought her in where she belonged with everybody else. At the end of our service, I want to get real personal. I said Jesus' heart breaks. I want to make some apologies to some people in this crowd on behalf of our culture. Okay? Here's a whole list of them. I want to start with those of you who are BIPOC or you are people of color, you're black, you're indigenous, or you have Native American blood in you, you're people of color. I want to apologize for the way that our culture has, in many cases, shut you out. Right now, if you're of Asian descent, you have your own sort of private hell that you live in. If you're black, you've been living there for quite a while. If you're any form of a person of color, you know what it's like to go to a job interview and feel like there are other people already ahead of you for only one reason. They're not a person of color. That should never be. Are you on board with that? That should never be. And I can tell you, if Jesus were standing right here, right now, he would start speaking into our culture and he would say, for a country whose founding document, the opening sentence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. You know what that means? Everybody should know this. That all men are created what? Equal. I want to talk to the women in the room. Some of you, every time you go to cash your paycheck, you're reminded that you have been somewhat marginalized from your male counterparts. That's unconscionable. It's wrong. It's not right. Every time you have been treated as something less, not enough, Every time that happens, Jesus' heart breaks. And our heart should break too. I want to talk to those of you who are singles. You know what the most common thing Christian singles tell me is? We don't belong in the church because everyone in the church thinks we should be married. And they ask us questions like there's something wrong with us that we're not married. Friends, that's just wrong. Shouldn't be that way. I'm sorry for those of you who are single and have been treated by any church that way or any culture that way. Those of you who are depressed and those of you who struggle with mental illness, listen, I've struggled with depression in my life. I know what it feels like not to be able to function because of depression. 
I'm so grateful that in my depression, this church has been wonderful. And you have never marginalized me. And I'm so grateful. I wish I could say it was that way with all the other people who are depressed and all the other people who struggle with mental illness. Did I say Jesus specialized in awkward moments? This is one of those, isn't it? Yeah. I want to talk to those of you who are divorced. In some churches, you need to wear a big D. And that's sort of your letter that lets everyone know that you, I'm not sure whether D stands for divorced or damaged goods. But in some churches, you're not welcome. I want to remind all of us that Jesus sat down beside a well with a woman who had been married five times and divorced five times. And he said to her, come here, daughter, let me give you the water of eternal life. No marginalization. I want to talk to those of you who struggle with addiction. In the presence of Jesus, in the midst of the church is where you belong. Because there's no marginalization here. You know what? You're gonna hear three statements that are big in our church, okay? And I'm gonna give you sort of a loose leaf translation, okay? Everybody's loved, nobody's perfect, anything's possible. that nobody's perfect thing. That's why we don't marginalize people. So if you're struggling with addiction, you are welcome here because Jesus is here. Let's talk about the homeless. I know it's hard. I don't know every homeless person has a story and it's very easy for those of us who sit in homes to look in judgment on those who have no home and to feel like if they were just more like me, they can live in a home like I do. Can I just get us to let go of that thinking? And to see people as they are, not like as we think they should be or could be, to see them as they are and to say, you're in my circle of love just like you are. And we'll walk with Jesus together and whatever he makes of you, he makes of you. But I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm going to try to love you. That's it. Let's talk about convicts. People who have done crime, been convicted, served time. They are welcome here without marginalization because they would be welcome in the presence of Jesus without any marginalization. And the last one is a very interesting one that's front and center in our culture. Sexual orientation or gender identity. Now listen, we can talk later and we will about a biblical sexual ethic and what that looks like. But I want to start here. Our circle of love is never determined by a biblical sexual ethic. 
Are you on board with that? Our circle of love is determined by one thing and one thing only. Are you a human? Have you been created in the image of God? If you have, then you are welcome here. You are in our circle of love. No matter what you look like, no matter where you've been, no matter how you understand your sexual orientation, no matter how you understand your, your gender, if you are a human being, we are for you. Take a look at the screen. At New Life, we choose to live and love with the heart of Jesus. And it is our intention to love and partner with the marginalized people of our community and draw them into the mainstream of our culture and fully include them in our circle of love. Are you with that? Yes. Yes. That's who Jesus calls us to be. Is that hard? Shake your head. Yeah. Is that messy? Yep. It is. But my friends, it's worth the effort and it's worth the mess. And it's why Jesus stopped the parade. It's why Jesus said, who touched me? It's why Jesus took this terribly marginalized person and drew her into his circle of love and made her a hero for the whole crowd and the latest exhibition of the power of Jesus to change anybody's life. And Jesus was in essence saying, she's one of us now. Two things as we close. Are you up for doing something risky? Are you? All right, here it is. If our culture is ever going to change, it's going to change by some of us being willing to build bridges. And we're going to have to learn how to build bridges with people who are marginalized. So if you're white, would you dare this week to begin to build a bridge of friendship with someone who's black, indigenous, or a person of color? I mean, put yourself out there and say to them, I want to learn how to build bridges with people who look different than I do. And I want to learn how to love and be loved by them. If you're a straight person, would you dare to reach out to someone who's gay or queer or suffers with gender dysphoria would you dare to reach out to them and begin to build a bridge with them and begin to include them in your circle of love? If you're male, would you dare to actually allow yourself to begin to look at what it's like to live in a male-dominated world as a female 
and not for sexual reasons, you got that, but because you love and care, would you begin to build a different kind of relationship and bridge with somebody of the opposite gender? I think Jesus wants us to. And I think he wants to use our church to begin to change the way that our culture looks at people who are different from us. We should be leading the way in building these bridges. As we close, the band is going to sing a song. I'm going to leave you seated because I just want this to soak in. I want to draw your attention to a phrase that was in the story. It says, Jesus' eyes scanned the crowd for the one who had touched him for healing. Here's my last challenge for us. Will we dare to pray this week, Jesus, would you give me your eyes to see people and to see the crowd the way you see them? And would you help my eyes to scan the crowd for the one who's living in their own private hell? And would you help me to be a piece of heaven for them? God, would you do a great work in us today, right now? I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.